like the presence of the Lord. Amen. Serve an amazing God. Yes, we do. Acts chapter 6, and we will begin reading in verse 8. When you got it, say so. And it says, and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. They also set up false witness who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place in the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council looking steadfastly at him saw his face as the face of an angel. God, we thank you so much because you go before us. You protect us, you direct us, and God, we just trust you. We thank you, my God, because even when things don't turn out the way that we think they should or like they are going to, we recognize that you are still in control, that you are still on the throne. We give you glory for this, and this morning I pray, God, that you would hear me as I pray unto you today for us, Lord God, as we hear your word. Father, may we be hearers of your word and doers as well. I pray that we would be challenged, that we would respond to you in faith. I pray that we will be changed, my God, through the edification of your word. And I ask you all of these things, my Lord, in Jesus' good name, someone said. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. <clears throat> and so last week, we, were, we started chapter 6, and you'll notice chapter 6 is a relatively short chapter, and so you probably wondered, maybe you wondered, maybe you were happy, I don't know, you wondered why we only went through seven verses, why we didn't continue on through chapter 6, and the reason is because chapter 6 is short, but chapter 7 is long, say long. So I think chapter 7, I want to say chapter 7 is what, 60 verses, praise the Lord Jesus. So if I take one minute on each verse, we are guaranteed an hour, Hallelujah. Glory to God. Nonetheless, we're not going to take a minute on, on each verse. We will go through these verses. And what we want to do is see this picture because from verse 8 all the way to the end of chapter 7 deals with the same thing, the same person, and that is a man by the name of Stephen. And this morning I want to talk to you a message that is entitled, The Cost of the Gospel. 
The cost of the gospel. And what I don't want you to do again is just look at this as being an isolated situation or something that doesn't happen anymore. Are you hearing me? Because there are people that live in this world. There are people that are preaching the gospel in places and they are being persecuted there. It is costing them their life the same way that it does Peter here. And the fact of the matter is that the gospel should cost us something. I mean, salvation is free, but to live for Jesus, we're supposed to carry a cross. Amen? We're supposed to move and, and, and not just live this, this, this um, easy life. It's not supposed to be easy. We need grace to get through what? You know, it was funny because when Minister Juan was, I, no, it was my wife. I'm sorry, my wife, she was praying. And as she was praying toward the end of her prayer, she was praying for the children. And she said, Lord, let them be, you know, fitted with your armor. And when she said that, it was like at that moment, I'm like, you know, and and obviously we know this, right? I'm like thinking, why would Paul tell us to put armor on if we were just going to take a walk in the park? That's like telling somebody who's in Hawaii, yo, put on a parka. You know, that's that big coat, right? Y'all like, my bad, I'm sorry, I thought y'all knew what that was, right? That's like that big coat, like for, for when you're in Alaska, right? You, you're not going to put that on, right? I mean, that, that would make no sense. That doesn't fit. But Paul is communicating to the church, and he says for the church to be fitted in the armor of God. Why? Because we are in a constant battle. We enlisted in an army. When you said yes to Jesus, it's like you sign on the dotted line, you are going to be a warrior. That's just the bottom line. And whether you like it or not, you're a target. Hello. And so God provides us with this armor, and that way we can do what? So we can fight the good fight, so we can wage this good warfare. As, we looked at, as we're looking at the book of Acts, we're seeing the church progressively grow from this amazing upper room experience, and we've come forward to where the church, some people estimate that the church is about 20,000 members around this time, and we saw in the beginning of chapter 6 last week that now some issues began to arise, right? We talked about growth, and as the church begins to grow, people are added, and as people are added personally, personalities are added and we often pray i said this last week we often pray for growth we're like god give us growth bring us people but leave their personalities we want them but just leave that part out and the fact of the matter is god wants us to grow and we will not grow apart from the personalities of other people amen somebody I said this a couple of months ago. We were going through gospel transformation. And I said, you know, all of us have those people in our lives that are hard to love. Amen, somebody? Right? It's true. I mean, if, if I told you to raise your hand right now and say, you know, raise your hand for every time you thought of someone that you have issues loving, right? Just be boom, 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 right? But I also said this. I said, you need to understand something, though. You are the person that someone has a hard time loving. Amen. Hallelujah. You see, you may, you may not think so. You, you may think you're the only one who has issues love. And how could they not love me? That's what they're thinking. Okay. <laughs> That, that, that they're like, how, how could they? I'm, I, I mean, I, I try to follow Jesus and love. And, and they, it's, it's like the same way, the same way you think, the same way they think. They don't understand why it's so hard for you to love them. It's just, it's just the bottom line. And, and, and so it is for our development, so we need that. But when the church is growing and God is adding to his church, issues are going to arise. The question is, are you going to become exclusive and say, you know what? I don't like your personality. I don't like your issues. I don't like the way you are. So you just stay out there. If we have that kind of heart, then God can't use us to manifest the gospel through us. He can't use us just because we differ in opinion. Here's the beauty of us as Christians. We don't have to go by opinions. We can go by the scriptures. 
When we differ on opinion, you know what we do? We come back to the Bible. What does the Bible say about that? If the Bible says this, then that's where we stand, period. This is not about opinions. This is not about feelings. Now, personalities and character, all of that stuff is going to clash. And you know what the beauty of it is? That's why Paul tells us to bear with, say bear with. He says, bear. When you bear, you know, when you bear, it's like carrying something, glory to God. He's like, bear with one another in love. Recognizing what Jesus has done is what he's communicating. And so we see growth, and what happens is when the problem arises in the beginning of chapter 6, there's a meeting that is held. The apostles say, look, we're not going to leave the prayer and, and ministry of the word of God. We, they, they said, you guys choose seven people from among you. They came out. They picked those seven guys, brought them before the apostles. The apostles prayed. They felt, you know what, they got a confirmation. They thought that these were the good guys to do the job. These guys were the right ones to do the job, so they appoint them to do this ministry of work. And one of them, by the name of Stephen here, he begins to do a little bit more than just serve tables. But here's what I want you to understand. As we have gone through this, we notice that when the apostles started preaching the gospel, the first thing that the, that the leaders of those days did was did what? They threatened them and told them to shut up, stop talking about Jesus. That's what they did. I told you this before. It wasn't just people, but there's a spiritual battle going on. There is a warfare that is taking place. And so the enemy doesn't want the progression of the gospel. It doesn't want that. So that's the person that's behind it. it. It gets a little bit progressively worse because first they threatened them, let them go. Then they lock them up again and they're like, hey man, didn't we tell you not to communicate in this name? So then they go from threatening them verbally to then beating them. And so now after they beat them, guess what happens? They don't stop preaching. The church doesn't stop growing. That means that people are still getting saved. Amen? Amen. So guess who is mad? The devil is mad. He is upset because people are still getting saved. He's like, okay, I got another one. Here's what it is. They're not going to listen to the religious leaders. They're not going to listen to the beating. You know what? Th- this was going to happen. I'm going to bring division to the church. I'm going to cause an internal conflict that is going to cause division, and that's going to stop all this stuff because they're going to realize they just can't get along. You know what God does? Gives them wisdom. They get past that, they get past that, make the adjustments. What happens? They continue preaching the gospel. People continue to get saved. Guess who's still mad? The devil. He is in fear. He's like, oh my good, I've threatened, I've beaten, I brought division. None of this is working. So here's what I'm gonna do. Now I'm gonna kill someone. This is what you're going to see happen. He's like, something has got to stop this gospel movement. Something has got to stop this Jesus preaching. Something has got to stop this. And so Stephen, he, he goes and, he, you know, and he, he begins to go out here. The Bible says that he's full of faith and power, and he did great signs and great wonders. And what I want to say is this. The reason why this message becomes so important for us and the reason why I titled it The Cost of the Gospel is because it's not just about what the gospel cost Stephen. It's what the gospel should cost us. We desperately need witnesses like Stephen. We desperately need, need witnesses who are full of faith, who are full of power, who are full of a passion for Jesus, who could care less about a title, and who just want to preach the gospel to as many people as they possibly can. That's the kind of people that we need within the church. Here's the question that I have for you this morning, and it is this, and I want you to internalize this and ask yourself this. Are you paying the price that you say you're willing to pay? Are you paying the price that you say you are willing to pay? Because here's the thing. We can look at Stephen's life and be like, man, I, you know, I'm not called to pay that price. Here's my question. What price are you called to pay? What price are you, as a child of God, in your situation where you are, what price are you called to pay? And the question is, are you paying it? Because most of us will say things. Most, and the reason why this question becomes so important, let me, let, me, let me show you why. You remember a guy by the name of Peter? He's like one of the main apostles preaching and teaching. You remember when Jesus was talking about his death and all of that stuff? You remember that? Y'all remember? Say, yes, I remember that. 
Amen. You, I'm, I'm hoping you remember that, okay? You didn't know what a parka was, but okay. Just saying, Peter, you know, it's in the P area. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, but here's, 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 here's what happens. Peter's in this conversation. All the other apostles are there. You're going to die for You're going to die for us. You know, you're going to die for us. And Peter's like, I'll die with you. That's what he said. He, that, that's the price he said he would pay. But here's what happened. You fast forward a little bit. Guess where they go? They go to the Garden of Gethsemane, right? And what is happening? Jesus is praying. What is Peter doing? He's sleeping. Jesus said, I don't want you to die for me at this moment. I want you to pray. Peter's asleep. I go, you're going to die. You won't even pray. You're definitely not going to die for me. He said, because what? He said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so the question is, are you willing, are, are you paying the price that you say you are willing to pay? That's the question that we have to ask ourselves. Repeat this after me. Say, God is not looking, is not looking for, superstars, for superstars, but surrendered vessels. I love this portion of the scripture in the book of Acts. I told you this is my favorite book. It is, but I love the way the progression happens and what, and what is going on is the apostles have been the ones that have been preaching, talking about Peter, bringing people out to, you know, let his shadow pass them. Amazing things are going on and in, 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 in through the apostles' ministry. But all of a sudden, this guy gets appointed in the church to wait on tables, and he takes it upon himself to go out, and he begins preaching the gospel. And this is the first person who is a non-apostle who is being used by God in miracles, signs, and wonders in conjunction with preaching the gospel. Awesome, because what this begins to show is that God wasn't looking for apostles to do something. Those were the first people who were going to do things, but he wants to fill his people with power to utilize them to do what? To further the kingdom. He's just looking for people who are surrendered vessels. The scripture tells us here when we look at this, looking at verse 8, it says in Stephen he was full of faith, he was full of power. Um, earlier on it talks about Stephen in verse, in verse 5 if you go back to verse 5, and the saying pleased the whole multitude and they chose Stephen a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit and so we see that, that Stephen is a man that is full and he's, and, and he's full of things that are necessary. He's full of faith and in, 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 in my translation, I'm reading the word in verse 8, it says full of faith. That word can also be translated the word grace. So he's full of faith. He's full of grace. He's full of power. And we should be the ones who are desiring and saying, God, I want to be full of faith. I want to be full of grace. I want to be full of power, not just for myself, for me and my little cubicle of life, but I want to be full of those things so that way I can be a faithful witness for the glory and honor of your name. Here is the reality. When we look at all that God does, when he fills us with his power, it's not just for us to feel good. He fills us because he wants to use us to minister. And we can't minister on our own in our own ability and our own wisdom in anything that is us. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to bring conviction conviction and transformation to lives that's why we should be saying god i want to be part of what you are doing in this earth we should be saying god we should understand that god did not look god called me out of my filth of sin this is what i understand about me and i hope you'll understand it as well if you're a child of god it is this jesus called me out of my filth of sin not just to clean me up not just to make me walk a little different not just to change the way i talk not just to do those things he he saved me from my sin and that way he could fill me with his spirit so he could use me to preach his message of salvation and deliverance to everyone I come in contact with. But I want you to understand something, church. He didn't just save me for that. He saved you for that. Listen, he may not, some of y'all, but I'm not going to do what you do. You don't need to do what I do. I'm called to do this. 
I'm called to preach. This is, this is where I'm called to be. But you are called to do what? To preach where you are. To preach. Where, how many of y'all, let, let me ask you this question. Let me ask you this one. Raise your hand really quick. We're going to do a survey. How many of you talk to other people about anything? Just talk to them. Is there a hand down in the room? Everybody's hand is up, right? Well, you know, relatively, right? So if your hand is up, that means that you have the ability to share the gospel. Now, if I ask the question, how many of y'all feel comfortable getting up preaching? A lot of your hands would just be down. No, 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 no. I had a conversation with a brother. He, he, he made me laugh. He was like, look, I'll do anything you want except talk. You ask me to talk, I'm leaving. I was like, glory to God. I said, we know not to do that. Hallelujah. And so, anyway, here is, here is the thing. Everyone talks to someone, right? We all have conversations. We all do. And so we are called what God wants to fill us with his spirit to use us for his glory. For what purpose? In order to bring glory and honor to his name and to bring people to the saving knowledge of who he is. That is what God is doing. That's what God wants to do. As you continue to read this, this portion of the scriptures with me, and we have a lot of verses to go over, so I won't break down every single one of them. I just want to read it through again, and I'll pause for a moment. He says this in verse 9. He said, then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen. These are Jewish people from these areas, from Cyrene, from Cyrene, from Alexandria, from Cilicia, and from Asia. These are people that were brought into bondage. They were slaves. And after they were enslaved for a while, they were set free. And so now they create, you know, they, they have this area or this the, the, a synagogue, a meeting of men that get together and people that get together and they worship God and they call it the synagogue of the freedmen. The people have been freed. freed. And so they begin to dispute with Stephen. They begin to say, man, what you're saying is not truth. They begin to say, man, what you're communicating, that's not right, man. We're supposed to live by the Mosaic law. And, and they begin to go through all of these things. And the Bible goes on to say in verse 10, it says, and they were not able to resist. They couldn't overcome the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Now, I want to pause there and say this. It should never be our desire to simply make a point, but to make a difference in the lives of those we are preaching the gospel to. You may read this scripture here and think, you know what, my job is I want to be just like Stephen. I, I want to, when, when they come and talk to me, I want to be able to have an answer for everything they say. And that way they just can't resist me. Hold on a second, that, that, that wasn't Stephen's goal. Stephen's goal was to preach the gospel. And whenever these people would communicate to Stephen, Stephen's been sitting under the apostles for some time now, hearing them communicate about how Jesus redeemed and delivered. And they're hearing all of these teachings of Jesus from the apostles. He's getting indoctrinated. And so now when these guys are coming to him, the same, see, here's what happened. The way they had, the way they taught, it wasn't like we do. You know, we have a different way of, of teaching. You know, we come into a class, we give you a syllabus, and we go ahead and we, you know, we'll probably write down questions we want to ask or whatever the case may be. That isn't necessarily the way that they did teaching they sat down they had dialogue they asked questions and so you know what Stephen was sitting there you know those little house meetings you know the connect groups right that's what they were having back then they were sitting down having conversation and you know what was happening this Stephen was like hey man but what about this and the apostles was explain that then and what about this and the and so they began to explain all these questions and guess what happened when Stephen had the conversation with all the guys from the freed from the synagogue over there that's what was happening they were like well what about this and he was saying no this is like this and what about that no and this and they just they couldn't resist him but their hearts were hard their hearts were hard but his point wasn't you know his, his thing wasn't i want to make a point i want to shut them down that isn't it he's like i want to bring them to jesus I want to bring them to Jesus. I want them to know. And so this is what I'm telling you. You need to ask God for wisdom. Say, I need to ask God for wisdom. There are some conversations that you need to not even engage in. 
There are some questions. Listen to what I'm going to say right now. There are some questions you need to be so sensitive when you answer them. And you need to like, listen, at that moment, walk on eggshells if you have to without compromising the truth. I'm going to get to that. That's going to be my next point. But here's the thing. You want to you answer that question with such grace that you are not seen as being argumentative. Because the moment you or I come across this, oh, see, and I have an issue with this. I'm letting y'all know. Y'all see, the, the reason why God called me to do this is because I'm loud, glory to God. That's why I call, because, man, when I, when I talk, I'm in conversation. My wife, she tells me, I say, babe, stop preaching to me. I'm like, look, just, just leave me alone. This is how I talk when I get, she's like, just don't preach. And, and, and I mean, I'll be in conversation in meetings, and I have to, like, control myself. I, you know, I got, a, like, I got a, a note, like, on my desk, like, calm down. Like, take a deep breath or something, you know? I mean, it's, I, mean I got to, like, mentally, because of the way that I am. So when I'm in conversation with people that don't, you know, like Jesus or don't like the topic, it becomes tough for me, especially when they're saying nonsense. Hello, y'all been in those conversations? Like, what on earth are you saying? Do you even know what you're talking? I mean, but you can't do that. <laughs> that. That's the tendency. Be like, what is wrong with you? Are you really? Is that, is that really your, your thought? You really, did you just read that somewhere? Not even. Did you hear that somewhere? Because you, you couldn't have even read that. Hello. The point is, here's the thing. You've got to need wisdom because if not, if not, people are never going to talk to you again. They're going to think that you're just the know-it-all. You just have all the answers and you, and, and you, no, you don't want to be that person. Now, that doesn't mean you don't answer questions. We'll get to that one in a moment. The scripture says they could not resist him, right? And then it says this in verse 11. It says, and they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and, and God. For those of you that know the story of the gospel, this is the same thing that was happening to Jesus. The same exact thing, these, the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all of these religious leaders, they couldn't resist the words of Jesus. Because they couldn't resist the words, what did they do? They had to raise people up to lie. Raise people up to give false witnesses and be false witnesses and give false testimony. And they stirred up the people, the elders, the scribes, and they came, they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. So they bring him before the, before the, before the authorities, right? They also set up false witnesses who said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. So now he's saying stuff about Moses and God. He's talking about their temple and their law. He go, they go on there, so it says, For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. Jesus, look, Jesus said that. Remember Jesus said, he's like, I'll tear this temple down in three days and raise it up. He wasn't talking about the temple. It wasn't what Jesus was talking about. Jesus was talking about his body. He was, he was talking about that. They were, trying to give him some, they, they were trying to give him some false publicity. Like, he, oh, Jesus is going to come and destroy the temple. No. That wasn't, Jesus, that wasn't Jesus' plan. Now, Jesus was going to change some customs because he fulfilled the law. He came because we are sinful. We cannot be perfect. We are not perfect. We'll never be perfect. And because of that, we are separated from God. We end up where? In hell if we don't know Jesus. This is the bottom line. Jesus dies for us. He lives a perfect life in our place, dies in our place, suffers in our place. He becomes, he takes on our sin so we can put on his righteousness. This is what Jesus does. And so what he says is, listen, you don't have to continue to try to appease God or please God by the law and earn his favor like you did over here. But after the cross, you are already accepted by God because you put your faith in Jesus. You trusted him with your life. You trusted him as the son of God. And so now you are able to experience not a righteousness that you earned on your own but a righteousness that he gives to you 
And, and out of that relationship, God doesn't only call you righteous, he begins to make you more and more like him every day as you put faith in Christ. And so what he's saying is he's preaching the gospel to them. He's saying, this is what happens. You guys need Jesus. He's like, no, we have the law. We have the temple. We have the synagogue. We have all that. He's like, no, you need Jesus. Oh, we give. No, you need Jesus. We're not killing him. No, you need Jesus. But we're not hurting him. No, you need Jesus. <laughs> that, that's the gospel. You need Jesus. No matter what, you need, I need Jesus. Continually. Just throw that in there when you have the conversation. You tell them that you say, listen, I need Jesus as much as you. I think more. But anyway, I'm just going to say, right? Here's about Make sure that you don't ever forget that you need Jesus. That's why the gospel becomes so important for us as Christians. It should never be our desire again to simply make a point, just to make a point, just to prove someone wrong, shut someone down. That should never be our goal. That wasn't, that wasn't Stephen's goal either. The Bible says that he looks like an angel to their faces, and then we're going to get into chapter 7. Now, chapter 7 got a lot of verses, so we're going to walk through this together. Say this with me. We must be prepared, must be prepared. To, give to give a response to false accusations, when asked, did you hear what I just said? When make that like if you take make that capital. When asked, okay. When you are asked to give an answer, that's when you give the answer. Amen. We're talking about false accusations here. We're talking about people talking bad about you. Sometimes they're not going to ask you to give an answer. You know what you do? You shut up. All right, at that moment, God is not opening the door. If they didn't ask you, you don't, you don't need to go in there trying to defend yourself or your position because you know what? If God is not opening the door by them asking, they don't want to, if they're not asking you, they don't want to answer. Hello. When they're asking you, that's when you open your mouth. I mean, I, that, that, that's a lesson that I have learned. If they don't ask, I'm just going to, quiet. There's no need. No, they, they've already made up their mind. But that wasn't what happened in this case. In this case, Stephen begins to communicate with them. Whenever, and I, I'm going to say this, and I, this, this is very important. Whenever the word of God <clears throat> is rightly used to confront the sins of others, it will always come across as judgment. Listen, when I use the word of God, whatever it is, thou shalt not lie. You tell a lie, and I tell you, listen, the Bible says you shouldn't lie. Sounds like I'm judging you, doesn't it? Because I am. <laughs> Hold on a second. It's not me judging you. It's the word of God that is judging you. Right? What is the word? The laws of God are there for what? They're there for us to measure our lives by. And when I look at the laws of God and I lie, I am guilty of lying. I have been judged by the law. Are y'all getting this with me? So what happens is Stephen, when he gets into this whole dissertation, he's not trying to defend himself. He's trying to confront their sin. Because it's not about a defense of who he is. It's not about a defense of what, he's been, of, of what he's about. It's about a communication of the truth of God's word. And when we do this, listen, that is why it is so important that we utilize the word of God correctly, not incorrectly. Because when I come to you and we're, we're talking about a situation like that, we'll just talk about lying for right now, and I communicate that you've lied or whatever the case may be, I want to be able to come with the same grace and communicate that there is deliverance from that. There is forgiveness for that. That's where we have to have the balance here to make sure that when we communicate that we do this. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, Stephen, he wasn't so nice. 
We're going to read his message back to them. You're going to see that he, wasn't, he, didn't, he didn't come back with the good news. Hello, somebody. He did not come back with good news. Well, he gave them a whole bunch of bad. Well, he, it, it, was, it was good stuff, but it, you're going to see that it wasn't really that good. And the way he ends it, he really makes sure it's like, mm. that's why he got stoned. But anyway, <laughs> I'm over here trying to move my page up. Glory to God. I don't know what's wrong with me here. All right. So I was the wrong one. Looking at verse 1 with me. Chapter 7, it says, then the high priest said, are these things so? So we're going to look at this. Our goal again, as Stephen's was, is to bring the gospel to the lost. This is not possible without bad news and good news. Stephen confronted their idols. I want you to notice what he's going to do here. He's going to confront five different things in, in his preaching. He's going to confront five different idols when he goes through this preaching that I thought is pretty amazing how he does this. The first idol that he's going to deal with is found in verses 1 through 8. So let's read verses 1 through 8. He says, then the high priest said, are these things so? And he said, brethren and fathers, so he gives him respect. He says, listen, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran and said to him, get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which you now dwell. And God gave him no inheritance in it, not even, not even enough to set his foot on. But even when Abraham had no child, he promised to give, him, to, give to him a possession and to his descendants after him. But God spoke in this way that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land and that they, would bring, that, that they would bring them into bondage and oppress them 400 years. And the nation to whom they will be in bondage, I will judge, said God. And after that, they will come, they will come out and serve me in this place. Then he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begot Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac begot Jacob and Jacob begot the 12 patriarchs. Now the first idol that he deals with here, he deals with their idol of birthright. What these people there were always, they're boasted about. They're boasted about, what, I'm, I'm sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So I, I'm a person of covenant. So they had this idol. That was one of the things that they were, that they were holding on to when they were arguing with Stephen. Stephen was saying, listen, it's not about who, who, who your father is physically. It is about who your father is spiritually. Remember Jesus had the conversation. He communicates with them. And he says, listen, your father's the devil. What were they arguing? They're like, our father's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We, you know, they, they go, they have this idol. Like, oh, you know, this is my birthright. This is, no. He confronts that's the first idol he deals with. The next idol, he deals with this for a long time. It's from verses 9 to verse 36. We're going to read that one. So the first one, he dealt with the idol of birthright. The second thing, in verse 9, he says, And the patriarchs becoming envious, so Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him, and delivered him out of his troubles, and gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Now a famine and great trouble came over all the land of Egypt and Canaan, and our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our, he sent out our fathers first. And the second time, Joseph was made known to his brothers, and Joseph's, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent and called his father Jacob and all his relatives to him, 75 people. So Jacob went down to Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham bought with a sum of money from the sons of Hamar, the father of Shechem. 
But when the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt, till another king arose who did not know Joseph. This man dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our fathers, making them expose their babies so that they might not live. At this time, Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God, and he was brought up in his father's house for three months. But when he was set out, <clears throat> but when he was, he was set out, his Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. Now when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. And the next day, he appeared to two of them who were, as, as they were fighting and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brethren. Why do you wrong one another? But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Then at this saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian, where he had two sons. And when 40 years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight, and as he drew near to observe, the voice of the Lord came to him, saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and dared not look. Then the Lord said to him, Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. I have surely seen the oppression of my people and who are in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses whom they rejected, saying, Who made you ruler and judge is the one God sent to be a ruler and deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He brought them out after he had shown wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness 40 years. And so the first idol that he confronts and that he deals with, he deals with this idol that they have of their birthright. The second thing that he, that, that he confronts is that they have this self-righteousness about them that they were like, man, we always recognize God's deliverers. And notice the two people that are in this chapter that he summarizes this with. Joseph, who his brothers didn't recognize, his brothers did not realize that he was their deliverer. They rejected him. Sold, they wanted to kill him. Sound like Jesus, right? Moses is raised up in that time as a deliverer, as God's chosen one. They didn't recognize him either. They rejected him. And so the first one, they got this birthright issue with, with this birthright idol, and they have this other idol. I couldn't put it in like one word, so I put, you know, they had an idol of always recognizing God's deliverers. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't figure out one cute one there. That, that's how it was. They, 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 they always recognize God's deliverers. We, we, this Jesus, this is what they're saying. You know, we would recognize the Messiah. We would recognize him. This, this can't be him. And what he does is he says, wait a second. You guys have been missing your Messiahs, your, because that's what Messiah is, deliverer. You've been missing your Messiahs throughout history. What would make it any different now? He goes on, because they, they still have more idols to deal with, right? Second, the, the third idol that we're going to deal with, look at verse 37 to verse 43. It says, this is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, 
The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear. This is he who is in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai. With our fathers, the one who received the living oracles to give to us. Whom our fathers would not obey but rejected. And in their hearts they turned back to Egypt. Saying to Aaron, make us gods to go before us. As for this Moses who, who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days, offered sacrifices to the idol, and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you offer to me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during, your 40, during 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You also took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god Riphon, images which you made to worship, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. So the first one is birthright. The second idol that he dealt with in this, in, in this communication is them always recognizing their deliverers. The third one that, that, that he confronted was their legalism. They were like, we always obey the law. We always obey the law. And what he, what he shows them is, look, when the lawgiver, Moses, your deliverer that you missed, went up to the mountain to get God's law for you, and you knew that you shouldn't be worshiping anything, guess what you did? You began to worship other things. You began to worship other things, saying he's given them this history. He goes on, he confronts the next idol in verse 44 to verse 50. He said, our fathers had the tabernacle. Remember just a couple of minutes ago, they, they brought an accusation saying, you know, he's talked against this tabernacle. Okay, so he begins to deal with that in verse 44. He says, our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he appointed, as he appointed instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen which our fathers, having received it in turn, also brought with Joshua into the land possessed by the Gentiles, whom God drove out before the face of our fathers until the days of David, who found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling for the God of Jacob, but Solomon built him a house. However, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all of these things? The next idol that he deals with is the idol of their temple. They were like, oh man, you know, we have this amazing place that we worship. This is the place that God ordained for us to worship at. How can you say that this temple that, that we now, you know, because he starts talking about stuff about us, you know, being the dwelling place of God, all this different. Hold on a second. Wait, 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 wait. We have the temple. And he says, listen, they had the temple too. And God said he didn't dwell in that. Even after they built it, he still let them know, listen, y'all, y'all, I'm going to show up there. I'm going to congregate with you. But you didn't build me a house. Hello? He deals with their idol of temple. So they got all these. They got birthright issues. They always obey God. They always recognize God's deliverers. They have their idol, right? They, they have their idol of the temple. That's their place of worship. That's what separates them from everyone else. That's the holy place. The, all that stuff. So they have these idols that, that are there. And the last idol that he deals with, look at verse 51 to verse 54. He goes on and he says, you stiff-necked. Now this is the part where we would come in with the good news, right? Not Stephen. Stephen is crazy. He's, I, Stephen is crazier than Peter. Hello, somebody. 
Seriously, I, he, 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 dealt, he, he addressed all of their idols. He addressed all of the things that they communicated. And he goes on to tell them, he says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. He said, all these things we just talked about, you're just like your fathers. So do you. Because you know what happens? Let me, let's pause for a moment. What happens is we always look back, like we, like us right now in this building. We'll look back at the children of Israel and be like, man, I can't believe that they, they, they did what they did. How could they do that? God split the Red Sea in front of them. How could they not trust him? The mountain was trembling. If, if I could see a trembling mountain, you would do the same thing. You would, we are no better. But what happens is we look back at history and we're like, I would never make that mistake. Yeah, right. See, we have the book that's finished. We have the finished copy. When you're in the middle of the city, that's why, see, that's why as, and, and, and for, for you younger folks up in here, you know, I, I know sometimes, and this is, this is just the truth, sometimes your parents, they say things, you're like, man, I'll never say that to my kids. <laughs> and then you have kids. And then you find yourself saying exactly what your parents said that you said you would never say, and you can't believe you just said that. Why? Because now you're in the situation. Now you are confronted with this, how do I deal with this? You know how to do it. And so you start saying stuff your parents did because they probably didn't know what to say. Hello. But the bottom line is you will get to that place where you don't know what else to say. And so you just say that, glory to God. But here is what happens. They look back at their forefathers like, oh, man, they were horrible. We're trying to live by the law. You know, they had added all of these things, washing of hands and all of this different stuff that they had to do. So they were like, man, we're trying to outdo our forefathers. And Stephen says, listen, man, we're going to deal with that idol of always recognizing and obeying God, that self-righteousness that you have. He dealt with that idol there. He says, you are stiff-necked. He said, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. He goes on and he says, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the direction of angels. He's talking to them. Well, y'all got the law by the direction of angels because y'all are holy people, right? And you're rejecting it. You're the ones who killed Messiah. And so what he does is he comes and he totally confronts all of their idols. This is why this becomes so important because if you and I are going to be faithful with the gospel in our days, you know what we're going to have to do? We're going to have to confront the idols of our day. Are you hearing me? We are going to have to confront the idolatry of our day. I love what one pastor, he's, he's, I, I always say he is my second favorite Baptist pastor. My first favorite is my wife's uncle. I got to give him props. He's always going to be my first no matter what. But this other guy, I sent you all the link. I think I sent it to your email. Um, and then I, I know I posted it on Facebook. But he is... He was, he was preaching at a pastor's breakfast, and when he was talking in this pastor's breakfast, he said something that, I, I mean, I don't know, man, it, it, was, it was pretty bold. I don't think that I've ever said anything that bold, but he said, you know, he said, God is not patriotic like we are. He said, I want you to understand something. He said, God is not up in heaven getting goosebumps when they sing the national anthem. That's offensive, right? I know some of y'all are offended. I'm, listen, I'm, 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 a, I'm an American. Hello, somebody. I, I want to make that clear, okay? Let me, let, let me make that crystal clear. I get goosebumps when someone sings good. Hello? I'm saying. I, I mean, 
You know, other bumps happen when the other, but anyway, the point is, right? I get, I get teary-eyed, you know, all that kind of stuff. But what his point was is that, and he said this, he says, what we call pluralism, God calls idolatry. What we call just getting along and just not offending anyone, and, you know, we go back to this whole being politically correct. Here's the fact. The fact is we have idols that are set up all over the place. In legislation, in, in different, there's idols all over the place. Here's what we have to understand is that those idols, if you go to like, I think it's 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, when Paul is talking about eating foods that are sacrificed to idols and he's talking about worship of idols and all of that, he says something that's really clear. He said the idol is nothing. It's the spirit behind it. It is the demonic force that is behind the idol that is the issue. It is that that is the problem. So here's the thing. When you and I begin to confront the idols of our day, we begin to have conversations about things that are not politically correct, and we begin to share the gospel as being the solution, Jesus as being the solution. Listen, here's what begins to happen. People begin to get offended. Because of what? Because there is a spirit that is in operation. It's called the Antichrist spirit. Hello. And I'm going to say this right now. I'm not saying anyone is the Antichrist. I am saying there is a spirit of Antichrist that has been moving throughout generations, always wanting to oppose Christ, always wanting to oppose the gospel, always wanting to oppose Jesus as being the solution for man's depravity, always wanting to do that. And that same spirit is operating today. The only difference is that spirit has media outlets to operate through has all kinds of people that are deceived and deluded, and they are willing to be the voice piece for those idols. They are willing to be the voice piece. And so what happens is, when I come forward as a child of God to communicate on the issues of the day, if I am not careful, I will run into situations where people are going to start hating me. Hello. If I'm not wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. It doesn't mean people are going to like everything I say, but I need to make sure that I, that I maintain love on the forefront. Love doesn't mean you don't speak truth. Hello. Because, you know, it's kind of like my child. You know, I, I love my daughter, right? When she was smaller, we had, a, we had, um, we had her, her, her chair, her, her high chair that she would sit in to eat, obviously. And she decided one day, I think she was like two, right? Around two, two or three, somewhere around there. And she decided one day that she wanted to get something on the counter. Hello. And she wasn't tall enough to reach because she needed to see something. And so she decided she was going to step up on her high chair. And when she stepped up on the bottom, put her hand on the counter, she fell. And she broke her elbow. She chipped it, right? And here's the thing. The thing is, I love my daughter, so what would I do? Am I just going to just leave her and be like, baby, just do that again. It's all good. Because I love you. Just go ahead. Child comes into the... No, you, 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 obviously when she's crying, you're not going to correct her for that, right? You're going to be compassionate, amen, hallelujah. I know y'all are like, well, Bishop, how'd you do? Look, you have a conversation. You, you show them, you know, and, and because of the pain, hello. But here's the thing. You know how many kids climb up on a high chair, on a high chair, reach on a counter, fall down, don't break anything, and continue doing the same thing over and over and over again? My daughter just happened to get the short end of the stick on that one. She chipped her elbow. She wasn't doing that again, hello. That's just, you know, but... This is the thing. I want, you to, I want you to apply this to the lives of those who live in our society who are doing things that are like that high chair climbing up, doing something they shouldn't be doing. They're not getting hurt. So they feel okay where they are. How do you confront that? How do you confront that? You confront that in love and in truth. 
You confront that. Jesus came in, with grace and truth. You confront that that way. But you cannot cower in the face of these things. The third thing, and this is where I'm getting ready to close, say this with me. The gospel may not cost everyone the same, but we must be willing to give all. The gospel may not cost everyone the same, but we must be willing to give all. Stephen goes and he blows up. He lets these people know they're stiff-necked and hard-hearted. And the Bible says this. Look what it says in verse 54. It says, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. Now, that sounds like a good thing, right? It penetrated their heart. It wasn't like it was just something that just went over their head. It wasn't like it was something that they didn't get. Oh, they got it, clearly. They got it right to the depth of their heart. And the scripture says that they got cut to the heart, but they didn't repent. What does the Bible say they did? The Bible says they gnashed it in with their teeth. So they started to just grind their teeth. They started to be like, oh, they, they, the, the hate because those demonic forces that have been holding on to them for so long began to do what? Began to, man, I'm not saying manifesting through them, but began to, they were agitated because they have to make a choice. Here's the bottom line. There is always a choice when the gospel is presented. You either respond in the affirmative or you reject it. One or the other. It says they were cut to the heart. They gnashed their teeth at him. But he being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. When we look at the murder of Stephen, it presents us with a great challenge. And it is this, are we willing to give everything for Jesus? That's the question. That's the question for us. Because Stephen, he didn't cower in the face of the council. He didn't cower in the face of this whole crowd that was hearing him. He didn't cower in their face when they were rejecting him. He didn't cower in that moment. He said, I'm willing to give everything for Jesus. I'm willing to give everything for the gospel. The question is, are you and I willing to give everything for Jesus, for real? Not just, oh, yeah, I'm willing to do it. Can we go home now? No. No, no. Are you willing to give everything for Jesus? Jesus makes it clear in the gospel. He makes it crystal clear. He has no hair on his tongue. People are like, I want to follow you. He's like, really? Take up your cross. In other words, be willing to be ridiculed, be willing to be embarrassed, be willing to go through pain. And I've said this before, nobody carried a cross because it was like something cute. It, it wasn't an accessory. Like today, the cross is an accessory. Hello? It, that, that, that wasn't what, the, the cross wasn't an accessory. Like, yo, I'm going to rock my cross. Oh, I got this thing. You know what I'm saying? This little bling right here. No. Uh-uh. It was, <laughs> no, it wasn't. The cross was serious. Nobody wanted to carry a cross because nobody wanted to be crucified on it. He tells them clearly, you're going to follow me? Carry your cross. You're going to follow me? Deny yourself. That's what carrying the cross looks like. It's not about the cross being metaphoric in the sense that he's not saying you got to walk around with a cross on your back. What he's saying is to carry your cross means you deny yourself. 
It means you say no when you want to say yes. It means that sometimes you are going to have to part ways from people because they don't want to follow Jesus and you do. That's what it means. He said it clearly. He, say, he says it like this. He says, if you put your hand to the plow, check it out now. You put your hand to the plow and you look back, you're not worthy of me. That's what he said. That following Jesus is not just about, I said a prayer and I'm good. No. Someone prayed for me and I'm okay. No, no. Are we willing to give it all for him? And the, and, and the heart of the question is, are you? Not are you willing. Let, 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 let's ask the real question. Are you giving it all for him? He said it another way. He said, you know what? He said, if you love anyone, he said, your mother, your father, if you love anyone more than me, not worthy of me. Those are hard words. What is Jesus saying? He wants you to hate someone? No. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, your love for him should be much greater than your love for anyone else. How do you measure that? I don't know. You tell me. Who do you spend more time with? Who do you spend more time obeying? Because obviously you can't just, you know, go lock yourself up in a closet for prayer for eight hours a day and ignore everyone else in your life. But here's the thing. This is the beauty of Jesus. Jesus comes along with you for the walk, for the ride, for wherever you're at. He's there with you. When I say spend time with him, it's not just about spending separated time in a closet with him. It's about you spending your life obeying him. That when you're with your spouse, that you are concerned about honoring God. That when you are with your children, you are concerned about honoring God. That when you are with whoever you are with, that your greatest concern is not making them feel good, but making Jesus smile. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. To say, yes, I am willing. And not just willing, but I am. And listen, I don't know about anybody else in this room, but I know for me, I know that I can say hands down, I fall short of that line of perfection all the time. Because there are plenty of times that I'll be with so-and-so or whoever, and I'm not thinking about Jesus. I'm more concerned about them. I'm not worried about obeying him. And that's the reason why I come to the place of repentance and ask God, God, forgive me. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the gospel that liberates me. But let me not just be one of those people who takes grace for granted and says, well, I thank you for the gospel because I'm forgiven. But let me be a person who really basks in the wonder of the gospel that should change my life. So the question is, again, am I doing or am I living this out the way that I'm called to? I love what one writer wrote. He said, God does not call all of us to be martyrs. He does call all of us to be living sacrifices. In some respects, it may be harder to live for Jesus than to die for him. But if we are living for him, we will be prepared to die for him if that is what he calls us to do. Jesus, I'll die for you. His question is, will you just live for me? Jesus, I'll give my life. Just live for me. Are you living for me? Are you living it with all of your heart? If you're not, he calls you to repentance today. If you're not, he says, listen, I'm calling you to live the life that I've called you to live. I've called you to live for me, for my glory, for my honor. If you're not, repent of your sin. That's why I died. That's why I died. And if you are, I know that you're praying, right? If you're living for him the way that you should, then I know that you're praying in this place. So I'll stand to our feet, please, and bow your heads. I open up the altar right now. And here's the question for those of you that, have, that can honestly say, I'm not living. 
I'm not paying the price that I should be paying. And here's the question. What is it that is keeping you back? What is it that is holding you back? Is it a relationship that's holding you back? Is it fear that is holding you back? Is it hurt that is holding you back? What is holding you back from paying the price, from living fully for Jesus? What's holding you back? Today, today, resolve in your heart to say, I'm not going to let anything hold me back anymore. I'm not going to let anything hold me back anymore. I'm going to follow Christ with all of my heart. I'm going to let him heal those hurts. I'm going to let him liberate me of those fears. I'm going to let him sever relationships. I'm going to let him do whatever it is that he wants to do so I can follow him fully. I open the altar for you if you need prayer today. We're here because we want to pray for you. If you recognize, God, I'm not following you like I should, and I want to follow you. I just want someone to pray with me. We want to pray with you. If you don't know Jesus in this place, if you don't know him, if he's not the Lord of your life, if you have not repented of your sins, if you have not put your faith in him, today is the opportunity for you to do that. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. God, we come to you, Lord, and we humble our hearts. We come to you and we humble our hearts, Jesus. We humble our hearts in your presence today, God. Holy Spirit, we surrender to you. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge you in this place. God, I pray that you would heal every broken area. God, I pray that you would liberate from fear and from doubt, my God. Father, I pray today that you would grant us the boldness, God. Grant us the boldness, my Lord, to really lay our lives down, my God. To really take up our cross and follow you, God. To really pursue you as you have called us to, God. Father, today, Lord, I ask you, fill us afresh, God. Fill us afresh, God. Fill us afresh, Jesus. God, we call on your name in this place. We call on your name in this place, God. There is absolutely none that is like you, Lord. There is none that is like you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, God. You're worthy, Master. You're worthy, Master. You're worthy, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, God. Will you grab your neighbor's hand and I want to pray for all of us. Hallelujah, God. Father, I just thank you so much, God, for this day. Father, I thank you for your grace that is sufficient for every one of our weaknesses, Lord. God, I thank you because I know.